Welcome to the Executive Function Podcast, where we make the invisible keys to success easy for you to teach your child. We'll go beyond theory to proven action, helping you create peace and independence at home and at school. With your host, educational author, award-winning teacher, and celebrated learning coach, Sarah Kesti. Hey team, we are so super lucky to have a special guest coming to us from all over the world. I will let her introduce herself and she's going to share some amazing inspiration. You're going to want to stick around for this. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's great to be on your show. My name is Gertrude Mache. At the moment, I'm based in Melbourne, Australia, but I live in New Zealand. And it's fantastic to be with you today. So Gertrude and I met because we care about humans. And she wanted to hear from educators who have a bigger mission than just what's inside their classroom, which not to take away the value of what's inside our classroom, it's it's the future. But she wanted to hear stories of education and really the power of education, which is how we connected. And then I found out about her amazing multi-layered projects around the world that are really impacting people. And I feel like you need to know about this as our team, because it's such a powerful story. And there are lots of ways that you, your children, your community can get involved to help lift others. So one of the things I was wondering is, you know, I've come in to know you through like the Her Story magazine and podcast and books. How did Her Story come to be? Oh, this is a project that came out of illness. Um, I was recovering from heart failure in June 2017. I had gone through a separation, a divorce, stressed out, depressed, overweight, and ended up collapsing with congestive heart failure in a rice field in Bali, Indonesia, while I was on holiday. And I realized at that point that all of the little projects that I had started were going to die with me. I had created a model that was not sustainable. So I'm from Zimbabwe originally, although I live in New Zealand for the last 21 years. And when I moved to New Zealand, I decided to reach back to my country of birth. I started sponsoring children's education in my community, in the village where my ex-husband was born. And raising money to pay for school fees, medication, food, really in response to the AIDS pandemic. We lost a lot of family members in the 80s, the early 90s. So we had 49 orphaned kids on my side of the family alone and another 40 on my ex-husband's side. So that's how my work started. Just a passion to make sure that the children in my extended family got to go to school. Now, when I got ill, I couldn't fundraise. I couldn't even look after myself. And I thought I have to think of a better, smarter way to do this because the project extended beyond our immediate family. It went into the community. I took over a little primary school with 350 children. I had a lot of families depending on me and I I couldn't raise the money. So I created this platform and decided to try and attract people who had interesting stories. My focus was on women over 50 
who had the stories, who had the experiences. So they could come and share their stories on our platform as a way to uplift, inspire, motivate, and energize others. I do believe that we change the world through our stories, one person at a time and one story at a time. So we targeted women in business, entrepreneurs, health and wellness, people working in the family and relationships environment, uh, social justice, creativity, and spirituality. And the invitation was for people to come on board. They'd be interviewed for our podcast. They would participate in an online, which is now an online conference or a summit, which did start with an in-person event, but because of COVID, we had to transition and put it online. And it has been incredible, Sarah. That's how I met you. I think I have interviewed over 3,000 people in the last two years, just the most phenomenal human beings. And it's exciting because I, I ended up bumping into you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel like we're like long lost sisters. It's yes. It's been really yeah. fun to bounce ideas around. And you know, what surprised me was how affordable it is to support a child to go to school in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. You were mentioning it's $15. 15 US dollars a year, $5 a term. A year, y'all. A yeah. Year. Isn't yes. that amazing? Most people in Zimbabwe can't afford that. We are a country that has lived through a dictatorship for the last 35 years. We are a country without a currency. We're actually using US dollars in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. But people in the villages don't have access to the foreign currency. So unless you've got children who live overseas who can send you money, people are back to bartering for basic commodities like sugar and salt. And the average person in my village lives on the equivalent of 30 US cents a month. So to raise 15 US dollars is almost impossible. So most kids aren't going to school. Right, right. And we've talked about the power of education and how that Mm -hmm. is the access point to upward mobility. And once you get up, then you help others come up too. So If we have a listener right now who was like, I can do 15 bucks a year. That's amazing. Yes. How do they reach out to you to sponsor someone? So we we have a website. Uh, It's the herstorycircle.com. Just go into our social impact project section and you'll see a number of projects that we're already supporting. You can just go in there and make a donation. Awesome. Thank you. And I've, of course, as usual, listeners and viewers, I will link that. So we've got that available for you as well. So I think sometimes, you know, speaking of making a difference, people get overwhelmed. I mean, you think currently we're living with COVID-19 and then there's concerns for human rights all over the world. Mm. And they might feel so overwhelmed that just getting started is too much to ask of them. How would you advise someone who wants to make a positive impact but doesn't know where to start? It starts at home, Sarah. It starts in your own home, you know, paying attention to your kids, your wife, your partner. Then it goes into your community, your neighborhood. You know, what have you done for your next door neighbor who's elderly? Have you offered to go and buy groceries for them? Have you smiled and just said, good morning, how are you today? And genuinely listen to the answer when they answer back. And then if you have any energy, any bandwidth to spare, do something somewhere else in the world. 
it, it does start at home and it's as simple as that. I love that answer. That makes so much sense because once you get that ball rolling and people are feeling good is when you get that collaborative sensation of like, we've got something good here. We can share it, you know? Very, very true. So um, I know I've talked to you a bit. And last week when I was on your podcast, we were talking <laughs> about executive function. So you've got kind of a bird's eye view of it. Um, and what I'm impressed with is that you run events and you facilitate speakers from all over the globe. That's a lot on your executive <laughs> function. How do you like what strategies do you have to stay organized? I have to set reminders for myself. I work on a calendar, so everything is in my calendar. If it's not in there, it gets missed. <laughs> is it paper or digital? Digital. Okay. Digital calendar. I don't deal with paper. And I've built a team that complements my weaknesses. I know exactly where my blind spots are. I'm not a detail-oriented person. Don't get me to sign the contracts or follow up on them or things like that. So I've built a very robust team who are around me and are supporting my weak points. What I love to do best is the connection with people. So I play in my lane. I play in my area of strength. And so life becomes easy. It becomes fun. I have learned to turn a 24-hour day into 36 <laughs> by staying up late sometimes, waking up early if needed. And I use my energy when I have it. And when I feel depleted, I know when to stop. And I take time out and I take look after myself. And that came out of being ill and just knowing how far to stretch myself. I think sometimes we forget. Yeah, I'm queen of forgetting. Mm. Um, and that, that <laughs> makes sense. And I really appreciate something you said early on with that you found, you built a team that complements your weaknesses that can fill in the gaps that you know you have. And that is so powerful. But besides that, I don't actually believe that you have gaps. You are Wonder Woman. <laughs> but in real, in reality, I imagine you do. We all do. And so um, that's really interesting because when I work with students, a lot of them are hesitant to accept help or seek it out. Or parents are like, well, you just need to naturally do this. And so there's some hesitancy in that area that I think revolves around not wanting to have deficits, but I'm hearing you say like, embrace it because you can find a way to strategize around it. Right. And then life becomes fun. Work becomes fun. I believe when you work in your area of strength, that your intuitive gifts come naturally. It's not something you're taught or you can learn. It just comes naturally. I was one of those kids in class who was yakking and talking and cracking jokes and talking was my strength. And it's literally turned into a profession. I've been a professional speaker for the last 21 years. Absolutely love what I do, can do it 24-7 effortlessly and easily. And so I know my strengths and that's where I play. And I think if young people, students, even entrepreneurs, people in business can remember this, that that's where your superpowers lie in the intuitive gifts, the things that you, you weren't taught how to do. And if you can create a life or a business focused on that, then 
you can wake up every single day and go to work and it's not work. It's, it's play. I, That's why Bill Gates can be Bill Gates. <laughs> Cause he has somebody else to do some of the other things that maybe yes. aren't in his wheelhouse. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that doesn't, that doesn't have to be somebody that you pay. It could be somebody that you recognize like, Hey, let's collaborate. I have this to give you, you have that yeah. to give me, you know, it's, it's just being smart about that self-awareness. Yeah. And collaboration is the key. I think a lot of times we think we have to do everything by ourselves or we think that, oh, if I share this with somebody else, my idea might be stolen. I think even if somebody copied you, they would never do it like you. Mm -hmm. So just knowing that you're unique and when you collaborate, that is where the power really lies. And in my organization, I'm teaching women how to collaborate and work together just to move things forward. Yeah, that's, it's such an interesting thing that you're describing as kind of that assumption that certain genders should just come with a certain skill set and that certain ages should just have a certain skill set. And that, that resistance, that rub, it causes a lot of shame, you know, it's, yeah, Yeah. it's interesting to like, you're resonating this self-acceptance that I hope that we can give to listeners and people that we work with and speak to. And just the, you know, the self-acceptance that I shared with you last week was so tricky for me having a disability and recognizing that like, I won't ever run. I am not a foot model after 11 surgeries. Let me tell you, and I'm more of the model of if your foot got run over by a lawnmower. (laughs) That's what I am. I'm like the warning story. And you know what, at this point, so like, that's all right. It's, would I like it to be better? Absolutely. But you know, that self-acceptance is hard one. And so worth it. It is because once you're comfortable in your own skin and you really know who you truly are, life is just magical from that point because you're not trying to be anything else. You're not aspiring to be anybody else. You're just you and you embrace all of your lumps, your bumps, your weaknesses, your strengths. It's a magical and beautiful place to live from. And that's, that's what I try and do every day. That's you, you radiate it. (laughs) Thank you. You you have that essence. (laughs) Thank you. So do you still struggle with any um, organization or systems? Like, are there spots where you feel like I still could use a strategy? Yes, 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 (laughs) and yes. (laughs) I think if you get to a point in your life where you don't, where you think you know everything, then you have gone down a very tricky path. (laughs) I am a student of life. I am constantly learning, you know, like some of the technologies that are out there right now. I just hired a young man to help me with TikTok because all of my stories would go on to TikTok, but I have no idea how to use TikTok. I have no idea how to put the videos together and make them go viral. So yeah, I, I look for people who are smarter than me to work with me and teach me. Um, and knowing that the younger generation as well have got a lot of solutions to my problems. I told you most of my clients are over 50. 
And we are those kind of women who, yeah, we know how to use Facebook a little bit, maybe LinkedIn, everything else, forget about it. (laughs) And when it comes to platforms like Twitter, I am a wordsmith. I'm very, very wordy. I can't synthesize anything into a few characters. So again, I will look for somebody who can help me with that. I know exactly where my weaknesses are. I love it. That is awesome. And I think what I'm hearing you say too, is that you've kind of got a system for recognizing when you need help and then seeking it out. Because it's never that you're going to fill all of your weaknesses because they'll emerge as new situations emerge. It's just not possible. And it's just about being realistic. Because if you try and do it yourself, you're trying to reinvent the wheel. The wheel's been invented already. Go and find out who created it or who knows how it was created and learn from them. A lot of times we push uphill instead of downhill when we're trying to figure things out and there's smart people out there who can help you. Yeah, I, I love that. So that self-acceptance and that accepting of help too, you know, yeah. nobody can do it on their own. No, no. Well, you man is an island. You can try, but then you end up in a rice field with heart failure. <laughs> on vacation, no less. Right. No, thank you. No, I, no. I would hope maybe the rice field, not the heart failure. <laughs> true. Very, very true. So what, what hopeful message do you have for our team, considering that most of the people who tune in are parents and teachers who have kids who are brilliant and somehow held back by an issue with organizing or attention or things that maybe are invisible, but really impact their interaction with education? What hopeful message do you have? I think as parents, be the example for your children. You know, if you're wanting them to be more organized, how organized are you? Do you have a system in your home that you follow, that you teach your children? It it starts with us. You have to be the example of the possibility. And for the younger children, you know, when you have a program, when you have a certain set of things that you do every single day systematically, it becomes easier when it's a routine, you actually don't feel very good when you haven't done one of the things you are supposed to do during the day. And that routine can really help you when you go into the workplace, when you finish school. So I think it's, it's really imparting a life skill to our kids and changing our own life skills and how we manage things. Right now, a lot of parents are having to cope with children at home everything's changed. You're having to try and work from home with the kids in the house. You're fighting over the internet, you know? So what system have you put in place to make the experience we're going through right now effortless, easy, and manageable? And taking the kids out for a walk, you know, exercising, getting out of the house, getting some fresh air is not only good for your kids to run around and be in nature, but it's good for us as well to be in nature. You know, like we were talking a bit earlier when we connected on this call that you had a fantastic weekend kayaking. You know, when was the last time you did something like that with your kids? So we are living through a very, very interesting time and there's no telling how long this is going to last. So we all have to develop some kind of coping mechanisms for 
the period we're in where kids can't go to school and you're having to homeschool or help them while you're in the home and work at the same time. Right, right. And you, you, your idea of having systems, like it's still worth it. August, 2021, it is still worth it to explore some systems. And if like, let's fingers crossed by October, COVID's behind us. There, it's not that that was a wasted effort to develop those yeah. systems. They got you through for a couple more weeks and developing systems, thinking aloud, doing iterations and modifying based on like test runs is a great model for kids because that's what I hear you sharing as part of your secret sauce for success is try it and then adjust if you need it, maybe get some help, maybe try something new. It's just that mental flexibility and self-awareness that kind of drives what you're describing that parents could model for their kids. Yeah. And I mean, I had some fantastic role models in my life. I had some amazing teachers. I had one English teacher when I was 14 who came to Zimbabwe. Most schools in Africa have no windows. It's hot over hundred degrees in summer. And he had come from London and he thought this was ridiculous. So he took us outside and he read Wilfred Owen's poetry, World War poetry. And we're lying under a tree and he made us close our eyes. And to me, it felt like he was painting pictures with words. I fell in love with poetry because of that. You know how one person can literally change your life oh yeah so as educators what are you doing for your students so that you become that one person that a child will remember for the rest of their lives I became a major in English I threw myself in drama and debate and gobbled up anything with words I was good in geography and history and it impacted on everything that I did And it was one person, his name was Mr. Davies. You'll never forget that man. What are we doing as educators when we interact with children? How are you leaving a a memory or a legacy in their lives and remembering how you taught them to see the strengths that they had and reinforce that? Yeah, Yeah, I'm hoping that as educators, this is one thing you remember with every child you interact with. Wouldn't it be nice for a 54-year-old woman now living in New Zealand to talk about her English teacher when she was 14 in Zimbabwe? That's the legacy that we should all be leaving, I think, as human beings. I agree. Like, how can we, Mr. Davies, you said? Mr. Davies, yeah. Davies. How can we be Mr. Davies? (laughs) I love it. Kind of keep a piece of him driving us. And if you're not a teacher, if you're a parent, you still got You've still got room to be a Mr. Davies as well. Well, your own kids. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I said that as parents, we are the examples for our kids. I'm a recent grandmother. I've been watching in the last four weeks, my daughter turn into a mother. And I'm like, where did she learn this from? You know? And I remember when she was six, her youngest brother was born. And she adored him. She used to care for him. If I was busy, she would look after the baby. She loved babies ever since she was a little girl. And I'm watching her now with her own son. And she said to me the other day, but mom, I watched you. I've I've been watching you my whole life. And I'm like, oh, wow. 
what a compliment. Most young moms struggle with their children, but there's something that I did that she picked up on and she's just blossomed in four weeks. She's this woman. I'm like, who the hell are you? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, wow. Nice to meet you. When did that happen? My baby has a baby, but she's a mom and she's just an incredible woman. That's so cool. Yeah. And I'm sure that she also learned some of your systems and some of your future thinking and all that kind of stuff that helped her develop into the amazing. I used to call her the matron. So I traveled a lot. So she has one older brother, one younger brother. She's in the middle. And if I was overseas on a speaking trip, she used to run the house. We used to call her the matron. She would organize the boys tell them what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And I'll come back home. The house is spotless. I mean, ever since she was like 13, 14, she would just take over if I wasn't home. Wow. So we've always had a household where my kids, regardless whether they were male or female, they had chores, they had things to do. They had to help me with stuff that had to be done around the house. They just became routine. I remember when we moved to New Zealand, people saying to me, how did, how did you do that? How did you train your kids? But it started early. It's not something you can start doing when they're teenagers and then start trying to get them to do stuff. But it started like a game where they help mom around the house and it just became routine. And it, it was such a magical thing because I had a lot of friends in New Zealand with kids who struggled to get them to do anything. Uh, my three were just it was just a way of, of being. It was just what we did in our household. So it, it starts early. If you've got little kids, start them the earlier you start, the better. But yeah. even if they are older, it's not wrong to show your vulnerability as a mother. If you're not coping, talk to your kids. Make them understand that you need their help and they will help you. And, and like you were saying before, sometimes they have better solutions than we could have thought of. Yeah. Because they're a little bit unlocked from the judgment of others, you know, mm-hmm. and they're they're they haven't had as many failures in their life to kind of carry around as a reminder. So they have a different openness to solutions. Very, very true. And we yeah. should have an openness to receiving those solutions as well. Oh, good point. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about Mr. Davers, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I Mr. don't know Davies. why his name didn't Davies, 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 <laughs> dang it. Okay. Mr. Davies. Got it. Um, sometimes I, my dad's name is Dave and I jokingly call him Davy. So that, okay, that was why. my device to take it from working memory into the back of my brain. Um, okay. So Mr. Davies, and we were talking about, you know, keeping a little bit of the magic of Mr. Davies in our lives, which is a great segue to, we still need educators on board with her story, right? Yes, yes. So we're currently working on a project to help build a school in Uganda. And we are calling out to educators to come and share their personal stories around the power of education. We're going to collate all of these stories into an anthology, a series of books that we sell to raise the funds. So if anybody out there would love to come on board, please just go onto our website, theherstorycircle.com. You register to speak at the upcoming summit that we're having in September. 
and then give us a 3,000 word story about your life. It can be 3,000 to 5,000 words. Please help us raise these funds. And, and I'm so happy when you said yes, Sarah. Ah, I love it. I love it. And hopefully, you know, my, my grand hope in this beyond just supporting the Her Story projects, which are amazing, is that my story can help empower someone to find that self-acceptance earlier than I found it. Because that was the pivotal moment in my life where I was kind of all of those invisible doors that I had put up just sort of melted away. And I realized Mm. the actual possibilities and Mm. it, if we can gift that to our kids and to the parents that we work with and to just all the humans that we love (laughs) Mm -hmm. that we've met and maybe haven't met yet. I mean, that's, that's huge, but I am also looking forward to um, sharing the story because it can help raise funds for um, all of the amazing projects and the school in Uganda. So um, I will put, there's a link for the pre-sale for my book um, on Amazon. I will put that in the chat or not in the chat. See, I've, I've taught online too long in <laughs> the show notes, or if you're watching this on YouTube in the description, description. below, we'll just make sure you got what you need. Um, Wonderful. Gertrude, if people are moved to support the educator, the power of education arm of this movement, but they don't necessarily want to write a big story about themselves, how else can they get involved? Well, you can just donate whatever you can. Um, I also find that when you're fundraising, sometimes it's about ideas. There's some creative people out there who can come up with some amazing ideas on how we could best fundraise for these schools. So ideas are money as well. I'm open to any level you want to play because I think when we have a meeting of minds with people who are like-minded, who want to change the world, magic can happen. So it's not always about money. I had a, a young student in Boston. I was speaking at Cambridge College in Boston And I was talking about wanting to build a library and needing to collect books. This girl was 23, single mom, didn't have any money to give me. And she waited until the end of this conference. And she came up to me and said, Gertrude, I want to help, but I don't have money. And I had this conversation with her and I said, you know what? The fact that you stuck around until 300 people had left the hall means that you've got a gift for me. And maybe you might not know what it is right now but meditate on it, pray, it'll come. About six months later, the professor who invited me to speak at that university called me and said to me, Gertrude, you won't believe what Alex has done. And what she did is she put bins in every lecture theater on campus and told the professors to tell the students who had children to give away any books they didn't want anymore. She collected the first 5,000 books for our library Our library is actually named after Alexandra Venegas. And she showed me a way to collect books. So I used the same technique. I started giving presentations in primary schools all over Wellington in New Zealand. And for 90 days, I was an assembly speaker. And on the day that I got to the school, the principal would tell the kids to bring any books they don't want. I collected 65,000 books 
to build our first library in Zimbabwe with a method given to me by a young student in Boston, in Cambridge. And so it's not about money all the time. It's about ideas as well. So maybe you've been involved in some creative fundraisers. I'm open to, to hearing ideas. All right. You hear that, Davey, my dad? You've got some cool ideas because he is on the board for a, um, a charity that helps a city in Nicaragua. So, okay, there we go. I'll Come on. Like I need Challenge. to meet your dad. <laughs> Challenge dad. Oh, definitely. Um, and you, you shared with me just before we go, cause I know we've got to wrap up, but, um, you shared with me the coolest ideas. So you were sharing that the Zimbabwean government won't let you start a school, right? Mm-hmm. but you found a way to like kind of flexibly create a building. Do you want to tell people? Yeah. So there's a lot of corruption in Africa, a lot of red tape. If you're trying to help communities, you have to bribe corrupt government officials. And we were trying to build this library and we we're trying to build a clinic, the first health clinic in our community. And so what I've done is, I, through my Rotary Club, bought a secondhand container. So the 65,000 books are inside that container. We're now raising the funds to ship the container to Zimbabwe. And the reason why we bought the container instead of just hiring one is that when the container gets into the village, it's a 40-foot container. We can empty out the books, put the books in the library that we're building, and we refurbish the container into the first health clinic in this community. So the container is really a Trojan horse. I'm allowed to work in education so I can go into the school, but then we convert the container into a clinic and that becomes the first health clinic for this community as well. That's so right. That's a it really school. Yeah, it was the health clinic, but the health yeah, clinic. I love, I love that. And that's just an example of, you know, when we practice flexible thinking, which is an executive function, how, you know, all of a sudden something that you thought had limitations, maybe not so much, maybe we can use it in this way and solve the problem in that way. And, you know, people tend to lament and focus on some of the drawbacks of having neurodiversity, like ADHD or autism, but at the same time, that like unlocked brain, that ability to see all these potential solutions could be a gift that lands in a thought just like that. So yeah. there's, there's always a way. Whenever there's a door, either you break it down or you go in through the back door. And this is literally what we've done. <laughs> I love Found it. it. <laughs> I love it so much. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> well, I know we, we, we are just good buddies and we could talk forever, but I'm going to wrap it here. Cause I know, um, our listeners have other things and so do you, but I am just so grateful for our connection. Thank you for being on the show and listeners share far and wide. This is our chance to help spread her story and get the movement going so that we can share good ideas, inspiration, uplift others. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you for saying yes in terms of helping us. And thank you for sharing my story with your community as well. Absolutely. It's an absolute honor to have met you. Oh, ditto. <laughs> thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Executive Function Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please head over to sarahkesti.com where you'll find more resources and chances to connect with others. And please remember to like and review the show wherever you listen to this podcast. We're eager to transform the lives of even more families. 